Matthew 13, verse 1. It says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no roots, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This, of course, is Jesus telling parables, which are short stories with a meaning behind them, where Jesus is talking to his disciples and multitudes and multitudes of people, sometimes thousands of people who would hear Jesus and what Jesus had to say. What's interesting is that back then, it would be very different. It says here that Jesus got into a boat and sat down and the whole multitude was standing on the shore. Back then, as you know, they didn't have microphones. So they couldn't talk over, for instance, music in the background because they didn't have any amplification system. So because of that, uh, they would use water as an amplification system. And if you've ever been like playing at the beach or whatever, and you're talking to your friend, it's a lot easier to, to hear people because water just has those amplification properties. So it was actually in reverse. Jesus, the teacher, was sitting when everyone else stood. So I think we should start that today. Everyone's going to stand, and I'm going to teach sitting. No, I'm kidding. I mean, you, you guys are probably hating me. you probably never come back if that's the way we did it. But that's what they did in those days. The teacher would sit down, and everyone else would stand so they could hear him. And Jesus taught parables, short stories with a, a meaning behind them, so that you would be able to take the teachings, remember them, and hold on to them wherever you go. I mean, whenever you hear stories, they're just easier to remember. And that's how Jesus used stories masterfully 2,000 years ago. He used that in a way so that his disciples could remember the teachings that was spoken to them. Why don't we pray and we'll get started. So, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. You're faithful every single time that we meet here together and read your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would get something behind this story. We know that there are some people that hear but do not really understand what's being said. So I pray, Lord, that every person that's here tonight is receptive, open, and ready to receive what it is that your Holy Spirit has to teach us. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was in high school, there was a popular sitcom that I used to watch where the lead characters would always try to find the perfect date but never be able to do so. There was always one thing wrong. Sometimes the date would have like everything right about them. You know, the way that they, they talk, the interests, the hobbies, everything would be right, but they would have man hands. And then so the character would just like be on a date and then didn't even know, like takes her hands out of her pocket and boom, her hands are huge. And that's it. He's done. Or they'd be on a date and then, and then you find out the person's a close talker. And if you know a close talker, 
It's the worst. I know a friend of mine who's a close talker, not just in real life, on Skype too. He's just like right there near, near the camera, like backing up. And so, you know, no matter how many times they try, whether they have bad breath, whatever, there's always one thing wrong with these people. And you got to imagine, if this is you, there has, a, there has to come a time and point in which you say, maybe the real problem is me. Maybe I'm really what's wrong with the world. Maybe it isn't everybody else. You ever just like, you're so picky, you'll only eat one type of food, and it's like, if it's not just right, you're not going to have it. You're not going to eat it. Well, maybe, I think oftentimes, the reason why we're so picky is because our mentality is wrong, not necessarily that everybody else is wrong. And in the same way, oftentimes when we don't feel like the Word of God is really reaching us, if we don't see fruit in our lives, if we don't see uh, things really happening the way that we expected or God answering our prayers in the way that we expect, maybe the problem is not God. Maybe the problem is not the enemy or circumstances or situations. Maybe the problem is with our hearts. And that's what we see in the parable of the sower. This famous parable is that we'll often blame the reasons why we can't accept the word of God based on three reasons. We'll blame the sower, who is God, the person who's sowing the seed. We'll blame Satan, the wicked one who snatches things away. Or we'll blame the situation that we're in. Oh, there's thorns, there's weeds. There's no way that the word of God, the seed, can grow when you have all these different circumstances happening to prevent it from happening. So Jesus tells this parable, as we're going to learn a little bit later, that illustrates how the word of God affects people's hearts. How the Bible, scripture, affects people's hearts. And some of you may be going through something described as a, a dry season. Where you're not really feeling like you, you'll read your Bible and you don't feel like it has the same meaning to you as it first did when you first read. Or like I'd, I'd be talking to a guy and he says, yeah, I haven't read in like five days and I don't know. Just I felt like I wasn't getting anything out of it. And, and we wonder why we go through dry seasons. But maybe it's not the sower. Maybe it's not Satan or the situation. Maybe the problem is that our hearts aren't in the right condition to receive the word of God. So this is what... We see in this parable, and Jesus shows us that if we do not receive him, it's the condition of the soil, in other words, the condition of our hearts, that is to blame. In verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? So the disciples are confused, like, why don't you just, just talk normally? Why do you have to always tell these stories? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Does that describe you? Are you a person who hears, you're, you sit in the Bible studies, you hear what I'm saying, but you're not really listening. You see me, but you're not really even looking at me. You're like thinking of something else at this moment. And it says in verse 14, And in them the prophets, prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will, not, you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their, he, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So the disciples ask him, why, why all these parables? Why are you talking, why don't you just talk in a normal way? Well, there's a band that I really liked, especially when I was in my teenage years. And they would have these obscure lyrics that would bother me. Such as, palms are fitted black and finely tuned to stomachs that swallowed whole that bayou. And I was like, what does that mean? That sounds so intelligent. So this would bother me, and I'd have to go online and Google it. And back then, I mean, when I was in high school, we didn't have Google. We didn't have the internet. I, so I had to, like, telephone someone using, like, the dial-up phones. And I'm kidding. This didn't actually happen. I had the internet. I'm not that old. So I Google it, and I found out in an interview, this guy just made up lyrics as it came to him. It doesn't have any real meaning. He's just like, oh, it sounded good. So I put these words together, and that's it. There's no meaning. I got so upset. Because this bothered me because I was like, there has to be, and I'm like picturing, and then I looked up, you know, different, like songmeanings.com, and, and people are trying to figure out what he really meant, and then he just outright and said, like, there's no meaning behind the lyrics. And that really disturbed me. That really bothered me. So you can, you can kind of picture right here as the disciples are hearing the parable of, of Jesus, not being able to understand for those that really wanted to seek, for those that really were excited and loved Jesus, they wanted to know, and so they would get to the bottom of it. And they said, Jesus, what did you mean by that parable? I have no idea what you're trying to say. Can you please explain it to me? But sometimes you're going to have two types of people, the people that really want to know, the people that really want to seek, and the people that, eh, whatever, I don't really care. And some of us read the Bible in that way when we have our personal time with God. Right? You'll read it and be like, yeah, I don't know what that means. Oh, well. You close the Bible. And that's it. Or you'll be that person that says, oh, I need to know what this means, and I'm going to find out. I'm going to ask someone. I'm going to ask my youth leader. I'm going to ask my small group leader. I'm going to find out what this means. And that just depends on how much you love Jesus and how much you are just en enraptured with the knowledge of him and growing deeper with him. And to the degree that you just love God and you want to pursue God is the degree that you're going to find out the meaning behind those things. I remember on the youth retreat, for those of you that remember that were in my uh, cabin, one of our leaders, Johnny Zacchio, I asked him the question, why did Jesus need to die in order to cover our sins? Why couldn't it just be like, hey, do 100 push-ups and your sins are forgiven? Like, why was it death that atoned for our sins? And Johnny was scratching his head, and it bothered him. I let him go for like 15 minutes. And it was like 6 o'clock in the morning. Everyone was wiped out. Everyone was tired. He got so frustrated because he wanted to know what the answer is. Why is it that Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins? So you can picture the disciples that are so bothered trying to figure it out. I eventually told him, don't worry. And if you're interested, hopefully you'll be bothered enough to remember and ask me after the service. But what we see here is Jesus is so masterful in the way that he delivers the message. Just like if you have the sun shine on a piece of clay and a piece of wax, it will harden the clay and soften the wax. But the sun has the same action. It just radiates its heat. 
But some people will harden their hearts and some people will soften their hearts depending on whether or not they want to receive what Jesus has to say. And so some people really don't want to know the truth about the world. We have to each examine our heart and see what condition our heart is in. Am I a person who's just so hardened towards the Lord? I don't care what God says. I'm just going to like, just leave me alone. There are people like that. And there are some people that says, I want to know if God is real. I really want to know that truth. Look at verse 16 with me. Or we, we read that, verse 16. So verse 18, it says, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. I think it's important to know that we remember that it's the softness of the heart that's the issue. That's really it. We have all these different examples. You have the seed that was cast along the side. Of, of, and remember that Jesus used parables that was relevant to the people of the day. They're all kind of farmers because they all lived 2,000 years ago. And everybody planted seeds. So Jesus said that there's people, uh, there's a sower who casts seed by the wayside, where it's rocky land. It was completely hard. And then he cast it, you know, on stony ground. And then there was, there was a little bit of softness there, but its roots couldn't grow deep. And then he cast it somewhere else, and it was really soft, really fertile, but thorns were there too, and it strangled up the seed. And then he cast it in the good soil as well. So we need to examine our hearts and see what condition our hearts are in. Our, our hearts can't be hard. They can't be partially soft. They can't be super soft. But like that story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, they have to be just right. Some people are mistaken in thinking that your heart has to be just completely soft before the Lord. And as we're going to learn in a little bit, that's not necessarily the case either. It's not super soft because then you're just going to be like a mush ball and an emo kid and you're just going to follow your emotions. But you need to have a heart that is right for the word to grow. So first of all, let's look at verse 19. First example. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. So the first example is a person with a hard heart. A person who's completely hardened, so much so that it doesn't get in the soil at all. And the wicked one, who we know is Satan, comes and snatches that seed away. Now we all know of someone in our lives that is really stubborn. Don't nudge them if they're here. We all know somebody, and the nudging's happening. We all know somebody that no matter how many times you tell them, you will Google things and show them to their face like you are wrong. They refuse to believe it. You ever have those arguments and you have to go to Google? Back in my day when we didn't have internet, we couldn't have Google. So I'd have to ask someone who like, oh my gosh. Okay, so I remember <laughs> when I was starting off as a junior high leader, me and my, my really good friend, had an argument as to what, what screamo music was. I said screamo music always has screaming, and he tried to tell me that screamo music doesn't need screaming. And we argued all day about this. And because we didn't have, like, cha-cha or, or whatever, we couldn't find out what it was until we got to Ignite, and Andy was there, and Andy was like, what are you guys arguing about? I was like, he thinks screamo music doesn't have screaming, and we're just 
you know, like we're red-faced, and he's just like, I don't, I don't care what it's about, but you need to stop. You're about to minister. And so we can get in arguments over dumb things. I remember when we were in England, and there was a guy that we were evangelizing to, and, and all, the, all you guys that were there um, was kind of intimidated because this one kid was just kind of making fun of Christians and trying to shut everyone down, and he thought he was all that. So then I was going to talk to him, and no matter how many things I said, he just wouldn't receive it at all. And then you can tell sometimes you're, you're talking to someone about Jesus, and they just do not want to hear it. There was a point in the conversation where I was like, I don't even think you believe what you just said. I think you're just making this up on the spot as you go along. So we need to be able to discern the types of people that are just, just don't want to know. So how do our hearts get hard? How do we come to a place in which the word of God doesn't even penetrate at all? How do you become a person like that that's just so stubborn, does not want to hear it? Well, that happens when we close ourselves off to the word of God. Hardening of the heart happens by choice first, before anything else. Before we blame it on an outside circumstance and say, well, the reason why I don't believe in God is because of what this person did to me and what that person said and whatever— we need to realize that it's first and foremost our choice if we want to harden our heart before God. And we don't want to receive his love. In 2 Chronicles chapter 18, there's uh, an account of this king of Israel and the king of Judah, Ahab and Jehoshaphat. That's a great name to name a kid, Jehoshaphat. And Ahab and Jehoshaphat wanted to fight off this this army and they were going to combine forces. And they said, well, before we go, we should ask our seers, and our prophets, if it's a good idea. That's what they did, they did back in those days. Everyone was superstitious, whether you believed in God or not. They thought it was a great idea to do that. But they didn't ask of God. They asked of their pagan prophets. And they had about 400 of them. So they asked him, like, should we go to the battle? And of course, if you have 400 pagan prophets that you hire, what are they going to tell you? They're going to tell you whatever you want to hear. So these 400 people that are hired are just like, yeah, it's going to be great. Just go. Yeah, you're really strong. Yeah. And then, right before they went into battle, they said, you know what, we really probably should ask a prophet of the Lord. Do you know of, of any of those kinds of people? And Ahab's like, oh, I know of one. But whenever I ask him, he always says something bad. He always has something negative to say about me. And that's how our hearts can become sometimes against the word of the Lord. They're like, oh yeah, well I know what God will say if I ask him or if I... Go to church. I know exactly what they're going to say. But realize that we can become so stubborn, so hardened because of our own choice. Because God will often tell us things that we don't like to hear. No one likes to hear that you're in sin. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is offensive to people. It tells people that they are dirty, rotten sinners. And not just some people, everybody. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. The Bible actually says there is none good, not even one. So try that next time that you're evangelizing, you're sharing the gospel with someone. Go to them and say, hey, I want you to know you're actually a really bad person. And well, actually don't do that. You might get smacked in the face. But when we, get, we often close ourselves to the word of God because it tells us what we don't want to hear. Romans chapter 1 verse 25 talks about People that exchange the truth of God for the lie. And some people, quite honestly, would like to be lied to 
rather than told the truth because the lie sounds better, it feels better, and they like to carry on even if it's in ignorance. People like to hear things like, you are awesome, you're great, you're the best, you are the star, you are special. Everyone wants to be told that. I remember watching a commencement ceremony for a graduation in which the commencement speaker said, so, I'm supposed to encourage you right now, but I need to tell you something. You are not special. None of you are. I thought that was great. Because he talked about if everyone is special, then no one in particular is special. Which we can talk about on a, on a different night, I guess. Thank you, Alex. The point is, a lot of us want to hear that we are something great, we are something awesome, and we all like to hear compliments, don't we? When someone else is complimented, we want to make sure that we're complimented too. It's like, oh, I love your hair. I'm like, all right, yeah, I did my hair too today. You know, it's like, when are you going to compliment my hair? We're waiting. Everybody wants to be complimented. Everyone wants to be worshipped even at the expense of God sometimes. Isn't that exactly what Gehazi did, who was the helper of Elisha the prophet? Elisha the prophet goes and heals Naaman after Naaman, who was like this big hotshot governor dude, who is the commander of this army, who uh, thinks he's all that and all powerful. And then he goes up to Elijah because he has leprosy. He has an incurable disease. Elijah heals him, not because uh, Naaman was awesome and not because Naaman had a lot of money, but because God's awesome. And so Naaman washes himself. He goes free, does not even have to pay anything or do anything. He just washes in the Jordan River and his leprosy is cured. And Gehazi's like, um, so we're going to get paid too? And Elijah tells him, no, you are not to receive anything because that ruins the image of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, which is you do not have to work to obtain salvation. It's a free gift of God so that you can't brag about it. So because of that, Gehazi's like, well, I'm sure he's mistaken. He chases down Naaman and says, hey, hey, my master, Elijah, he, he was just kidding. I mean, come on. We, we have some people. We have some guests. We have to take care of them. So why don't you just give me some money, you know, so I can go back to these people and take care of them. And Naaman's like, oh, yeah, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for curing me. Here you go. And gave him some money and some clothing. And Gehazi obtained that leprosy. That, and he caught that leprosy from Naaman because he did not honor the Lord and taking that for himself. And so many times, at the cost of the image of the good news of Jesus, we will want to be worshipped. And that's why so many people harden their hearts, because they want to be the center of attention. They don't want to be a person that humbles themselves and admits that only God is to be worshipped. There is none good, no, not one. Now, God is so patient with us. The Bible says that he's so patient, he's not willing that any should die, but that all would come to repentance. In fact, in Psalm 81, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Just open your mouth. You're hungry? Open your mouth. I will fill it. But he says, my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. We are so stubborn, aren't we? We are just so stubborn. God wants to bless you. He wants to prosper you. He wants to give you so many things. 
But we often are like, oh, I got it. I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to walk in disobedience. I'm not going to follow. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to do any of these things. Now, some of you may feel like you're not hardened to the Word of God. Like, oh, no, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm a softy. I'm pretty good at that. But are you sure that you're not hardening yourself to certain portions of God's Word? The Bible is not like a buffet. And some people treat it like that. Where you go to the buffet and choose a little bit of that, a little bit of this. Like, yeah, I like that. Judge not lest you be judged. That's a great verse. Yeah, I'll take that verse. Or you'll be like, love your neighbor. Yeah, that's a great verse. But love your enemies? Oh, no. No, no, no. I don't, I don't eat any of that. Potato salad, we'll just keep that to the side. Thank you very much. I hate potato salad more than life. I do. Never had it, but it looks gross. I'll never eat it. Some of us pick and choose the verses that we want to obey, but that isn't right, and we're doing it to our own detriment. Now, it's hard to self-diagnose the hardness of our heart, and that's why the Bible tells us that we need others to help us. Even like, oh, I'm not that hard into the Lord. Well, have you listened to the advice of others? Have you listened to godly counsel lately? Some people will rationalize the most crazy things. You will hear people say, yeah, it's okay for me to divorce my wife because God understands that I'm unhappy. Like, no, that makes no sense. Like, no, oh, listen, God spoke to me. I know, I know. I'm supposed to be happy. And that's why you need godly counsel. Hebrews 3, verse 12 through 13 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort, strongly encourage, one another daily, while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful and will so trick you and trap you if you're not careful and exhorting one another, saying, listen, man, you need to heed Scripture. You need to read the Bible and do what it tells you to do while there's still time, while it is still called today. Because time is running out. It really is. And that's really the last part of this verse is that the wicked one saying himself isn't going to let that seat stay there forever. He wants to snatch it away and make sure you have no chance at obtaining salvation and obtaining what God wants to speak to you. There was a Canadian man that recently almost won $27 million in the lottery. He had a lottery ticket, and you had to buy all of your tickets by 9 p.m., and he bought it at 9 p.m. and 7 seconds. He missed the deadline for his lottery ticket by seven seconds. And so he appealed and he tried to sue and saying like, oh, it was a system that was messed up and the cashier wasn't doing it fast enough and I should get my $27 million. But the court ruled saying, no, you're not getting $27 million. We gave it to somebody else. In the same way, some of us might be like, $27 million, I won. You have the winning ticket. I have salvation. I have eternal life. I have everything I need. But you need to, while it's still called today, redeem that ticket. Some of you might say, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I know it's true, but I'm going to wait till tomorrow. I'll accept Jesus when I'm like 85. I'm like 87. After I've lived a long life of doing things my own way. But listen, you don't have a guarantee that you're going to live tomorrow. You don't have a guarantee that you're going to respond in the same way tomorrow. If you feel, and if you know that this is right, act upon what you know while it's still called today because you never know if the evil one's going to come and snatch that seed up. 
Verse 20. Secondly, we have a partially soft heart. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So here we see someone who seems on the outset like, this is good. He receives the word and he does it with joy. So what's the problem? This seems like the person we want to be. Yeah, this person's immediately receiving and immediately joyful. Sounds great. And a Bible study. Let's go home. But the problem is that here the heart is still pretty hard. It's only partially soft. It's stony ground. And because of that, it never let the word of God sink deep enough into the heart, enough to develop roots. In other words, they received it, but they did not understand it. The Bible here never says anything about, in this example, that they understood what was being said. They only received it. Oh yeah, great, this is awesome, cool, I'm running, I'm accepting Jesus, and I'm going, I'm excited. But because they didn't have deep roots, as a result, they fall away. The commentator R.T. France says, falls away is literally tripped up. It is not a gradual loss of interest, but a collapse under pressure. Christianity can't just be a useful belief that you have. It has to permeate through every aspect of your life. You have to let the Word of God grow deep roots in your life and affect every practical, practical way that you live. What is the Bible if we don't actually practice the things that we learn from the Bible? If we're just hearing but we're not doing it, what use is that to us? If we say verses like when we went through our Society Free of Anxiety series, and we learned, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make a request made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If we hear that, but we don't actually practice that peace, then what good is it to us? I had a friend, I've mentioned this before, but one of my close friends in high school, he was dating this girl and, you know, we would visit her at work when she worked at uh, the mall and we'd go visit her and whatever. And then she had a brain aneurysm one day and she died. And this friend of mine, I would shared Jesus with him. I talked to him about Jesus. But because he never had any deep roots, he kind of just, he fell off. He didn't know how to deal with suffering in light of everything that was told him. Unfortunately, and I blame myself a lot for not following up with him enough. You know, I prayed with him, talked to him. But realize this isn't just a nifty saying. This isn't just, you know, mantras and, and just kind of like good advice. This is stuff that will get you through the trenches of life. I've known so many people that have lost someone. I know so many people that have, have had family members with cancer or have had cancer themselves. And this provides true lasting peace that nothing in the world can emulate, nothing in the world can provide or take away. I have seen people walk through perfect peace after losing someone. It's only when you really take the word of God and let it sink deep enough to develop roots that you're able to stand in the evil day and you're able to, to stand during tribulation and persecution. 
But a person who has only fundamental beliefs and just kind of like looks at it like, yeah, pretty much, yeah, I subscribe to all this, is going to be really hurt when tribulation and persecution comes. And, and listen, tribulation and perse persecution will come for every Christian. It's just the way it is. Now, the problem isn't that they grew immediately. The problem is that they didn't grow deep enough. Some might be like, oh, that person's like on fire for God. They're probably, they're probably going to fall. No, don't, like, don't be a pessimist just because they immediately receive the word. But let's make sure that our roots grow deep. I heard from a co-leader of mine that there's a tree called a, a banyan tree that's in Florida. That's this tall tree. I looked it up on Google. It's great. has aerial roots. Which means that it looks like a pretty ugly tree, actually. The roots are on the outside, and that's how it obtains enough moisture because the roots are on the outside of the tree, and it gets it from the air and whatever. The big problem with this tree is, although they can grow up to like 80 feet tall, I think the one on record right now is 80 feet tall. It's, it's pretty big. These trees don't have any deep roots. And so when a hurricane comes, they just blow over completely. And that's how some Christians will be. They'll look at them like, whoa, that guy's on fire. That guy is awesome. He's killing it. But does that person have deep roots? Listen, your level of Christian maturity is gauged by how you respond to persecution and tribulation. How mature you are as a Christian is gauged by how you respond to tribulation and persecution. The word tribulation just means general suffering. General suffering that we endure in this life. And persecution is when people actually mock you. They have pointed attacks against you for being a Christian. It happens. In the Bible, Job, of the book of Job, went through both. Both tribulation and persecution. He lost his entire family. He himself was covered in boils. He lost all of his possessions. And on top of that, his, his best friends were making fun of him. And telling him, like, oh, man, are you sure you didn't mess, mess up and do some kind of sin? Like, this doesn't just happen to everybody. And then, like, his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? Like, Thank you, honey. That's the best advice I've ever heard. How will you act during tribulation and persecution? Now, in America, we don't really have persecution per se in terms of, like, physical stuff. Like, I, I doubt any of you are going to get beaten for your faith. Some of you might. Hopefully not. But, like, Pastor Saeed, who's captured overseas who's one of the Calvary Chapel pastors, been in prison for such a long time, for about three years now. He's been beaten. He's been in prison. He's enduring persecution. He's doing it with joy. Like Paul the Apostle, who's like, man, I don't really care that I'm in prison because when I'm in prison, I get to share with the prison guards, which is awesome because they get saved. Everything's great. Now, our type of persecution is often like name-calling, people looking at us weird, people not being friends with us. But for whatever reason, it affects us, doesn't us? Doesn't it? Not just you either. It affects me too. Like people will call me names or I'm afraid what people think. And I hate that when that happens. And I think we should, as much as it counts on us, try to live in a way that we're developing deep roots so that even when we're persecuted, it's not everything to us. Our self-image isn't everything. Our identity isn't in ourselves and what people think about us, our identity is in Christ. And so no matter what the trials are, we can respond by praising the Lord as Job did. Which means letting God's 
word dwell in your heart. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Maybe you're like, why does God feel so distant? Why does, why am I going through this dry season right now? Maybe this is a time that you have to dig your deets, your deets, dig your roots deeper. I don't know what deets is, but you got to dig those things too. Dig your roots deeper. Because so many people, so many Christians are like fireworks. They go off with a big bang, a big flash in the night, but then they're out. That's it. It's only for a moment. Whereas the Bible, in Matthew 13, later on in verse 43, it says, The righteous shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. God doesn't want you to be a firework. He wants you to be like the sun who's always shining no matter if you see it or not. That's our goal here is that you would grow the deepest you can while you're here. All right, verse 22. You have a super soft heart. Softy. We can make fun of him. No, we can't. Verse 22. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So in this third example, it might seem odd to blame the condition of the soil at first, right? Like there's thorns there. That's bad. But the real issue is not that the thorns exist, but that the thorns were given a place to grow. The real problem is that this soil was too fertile. It would just grow about anything. And this exemplifies a Christian who just lets anything in their life. Whatever, like, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, we'll take that. Some of Buddha, some of Muhammad, yeah, whatever, we'll just take it. Whatever makes you feel good. And they'll be at the worship conference raising their hands and like, praise Jesus. And then the minute that they have something else that's a better experience, they'll leave and find that, that other thing. They're always being twisted and captured by whatever the next big thing is because they're just letting their heart be molded by anyone, be taken over by anyone. It's, it's not just let your heart be soft, period, because you need to use mulch. That's what mulch is for. Not only to keep the, the, the soil moist, but to keep out some of the sun so the weeds don't grow. You need to filter out some of the weeds in your life. And some of us just let anything in, any relationship in. You're like, well, I guess I could date him. I guess it's not a big deal. Whatever. He basically loves Jesus, I guess. He talked about him once. He said he's raised Catholic. I, I guess that's okay. We'll let anything in our lives to our dismay. We need to make sure that we aren't in the same way caught up by the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. You may say at first, oh, well, you know what, this, this relationship's harmless. We're not even really dating. But if you let that thorn creep into your life, it will choke out the word in no time. That's why you need to make sure that those thorns are just rooted out completely. We need to guard ourselves from those thorns. Luke chapter 21 verse 34 says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that that day might come on you unexpectedly. Some of you might just want a relationship so bad. Like, I need to be in a relationship, otherwise I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. And because of that, you're missing out on God's true mission for your life. 
because you're looking for your, that career and you're working towards that one thing or you're trying to get into that one school or whatever it is that you're like thinking about the most, whatever you daydream about in a day and you're just like, you're consumed by that thing. We'll miss out on God's blessings and what God wants to do through our lives because we're so obsessing over something that's so trivial and so unimportant. You need to take the time to take those weeds out and take those thorns out so that they don't choke out that seed. I love what I Googled. I talked about Google a lot today. I went to, as I was looking up all these things on farming and soil, I was reading about thorn bushes and how to get it out. Now, check this out, because I went to howtogetridofit.com, and I looked up how to get rid of thorns. And listen to what it says and see that it doesn't parallel the Christian life. Ready? Thorn, thorn bushes are extremely persistent. Therefore, the only way to defeat them is to be even more persistent than they are. Once you have started working on eliminating the thorn bushes, keep at it until the bushes are completely gone. Otherwise, you risk losing everything you may have already accomplished. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? But it's true. You can't even have one little thorn bush. You can't have even one little stem. You need to make sure the whole thing is uprooted. Otherwise, it's going to come back with a vengeance and take all of your garden. So not just super soft soil. You need to guard your heart, guard your ground, and make sure that you're only laying the word in. And finally, in verse 23, it says, But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Listen, what I love about this is you don't have to have miracle grow soil. You don't have to have the most talented uh, youth group. You don't have to be the most special, awesome person. You just need a person who receives and understands the word. Jesus said, if you abide in me, if you live in me, you will bear much fruit. If you, if you remain attached to the vine, you're naturally just going to bear fruit. Just like a branch isn't like thinking about like, I should probably bear fruit right about now. It's just going to happen. In the same way, if you're just faithful, like you'll know what to do with your life. Like, I don't know what God's calling me to be. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. That's okay. Take up your Bible and just start reading. Because as you read it and you understand it, you ask questions, you're going to, in time, bear much fruit. It's just the way it is. You got to be patient with the process. I've been making it uh, a point of mine to pray more and more every single day. And the more that I do that, the more I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, I've been tired when I'm doing it. Sometimes I feel like, did I even make sense when I prayed? But I need to be patient because as I pray and I set aside that time, I know that God's going to be faithful to hear me. So in closing, ask yourself this. What is the condition of my heart tonight? As I read all these different types of soil, which one is you? Are you the hard soil? Are you the partially soft soil? Are you the soil that is super soft? Or are you the soil that's just right? The soil that's ready to receive the word of God. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? God's looking for good soil. So that he can plant his word and that you could bear fruit. That you could be a person ready to be used of God for all these kinds of different things. Like so many people are like, man, it'd be great if I was up there singing worship. It'd be great if I was out there doing all these crazy stuff. Just be a person who's willing to read the word every single day. And you're going to bear fruit. 
Just be a person who says, here I am, Lord, send me. And God's, God's going to use you. It's going to happen. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12 says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. When we have our invite night in a couple weeks, I'm hoping and I'm praying that each and every one of you will think about people that have good soil. People that are just waiting for the word to enter their lives so that their lives can be changed too. And they can enter into that loving relationship with Jesus Christ and the fellowship of other believers in the church. Let's pray.